It's a holiday weekend, which means an extra day to fish, and we're going to talk to two people who know a little bit about fishing. Nick Linder and Mike Frisch are coming up next. The weekend is here. Let's rock. If I had a bar for every time my line got stuck, well, then I'd probably have enough for a brand new pickup truck, and I'm probably going to need it. My luck is going to change. I can feel it. I got a secret weapon on the radio. Paul Bunyan. Today on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, sponsored by Visit Bemidji, we're going to be talking with somebody whose last name you'll probably recognize, Nick Linder. And Nick, uh, obviously with the Linder name, um, there is some expectation that you, you know a little bit about fishing. Fishing? <laughs> no, yeah, I, I love to fish. And, you know, I really I really enjoyed this programming as well, too. So um, I guess traditionally, so I live down in Brainerd, mm-hmm. um, but traditionally... Uh, you know, this show has been up north a little bit from here, and every once in a while when you got some interesting guests on, I'll stream it online just for uh, some good fishing content in my ears. So I'm really uh, pumped to be on here. Well, thanks, Nick. I appreciate that. Glad you listen. And uh, and uh, let's just get into it. As a new uh, guest to this show, we'll let you kind of explore uh, how you got to where you are in the fishing world, which is as an, as an independent filmmaker. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, I mean, it's been, I'm not too old yet, but <laughs> it's been a pretty long journey. <laughs> so, um, obviously I've been fishing since, you know, the whole beginning is, you know, being real young and having my dad drag me out for an extra sucker line in late fall, you know, when I was too cold to probably even reel the fish in, uh, too cold and too small to even reel the fish in yet. Um, and, you know, just through the years, fishing for a bunch of different stuff, I I really would definitely consider myself to be like a uh, equal opportunities angler as far as, you know, species goes and, you know, different bites during different different times of year. And, but yeah, I mean, just through the years, I, you know, I think my first like little bout of work doing fishing things was when I was, uh, it was definitely before I could drive. So I want to say like 13 or 14 being just sort of like a, like a boat hand for Bill Linder as he's doing some of, uh, his different photography and videography client work that he used to do. And, you know, he just needed guys to hold, hold uh, light reflectors and, um, you know, just carry gear around. Bill, Bill never used to pack lights, so I don't (laughs) think he does, uh, anymore either. So, but, uh, yeah, that was kind of how I started. And then I, from there, um, you know, worked summers at Linder Media Productions, which my dad started along with his brother, Daniel, and just doing kind of all kinds of stuff. You know, when you're, it's a small, 
you know, a relatively small media company like that, there's a lot of different things to do and you wear a ton of hats kind of no matter, no matter who you are, or what you do in the company. So, um, from there, yeah, after I, uh, after I graduated college, so I went to college at UND in Grand Forks. We, um, ended up, I ended up working over at Linder Media full time for, I don't know, must've been six years or so. And this last year I've been doing freelance work. So doing some video projects for Northland and a bunch of other awesome companies. So that's sort of, I guess I, I went, I went through the, the whole, the whole gamut there. I hope that was okay. Oh yeah, no, perfect. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that, that you're actually doing some work with Northland because really the Northland story and the Linder story are very similar in that, uh, you know, Northern Minnesota, um, freshwater fishing, family-oriented companies. Um, I think, you know, there was a time Linder was doing a lot of bait, and, of course, Northland does bait, and um, the Petersons are in their second or third generation now, and and the Linders are the same. So there's some real similarities there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Petersons have just, you know, an incredible legacy with Northland. And yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned like grandkids and stuff. I mean, I've been spending some time with those guys lately too because they're involved with the uh, Northland activities as well, you know, on the marketing side and and whatnot. So I've you know I've been in the I was just in the boat with with them like last week I think it was. So just a really really cool family and super nice and it's just been great doing work with them because like honest to goodness they are just some of the nicest people in the industry and just excellent to work with so um that's definitely been a blessing working with them over the past year yeah plus tell me a little bit about al and ron uh you know they're two legendary you know tv personalities and and you know authors and they've done it all um a lot of people know them what was the the big takeaway for you as a grandchild and and great nephew uh, of the the first generation of lenders. Oh my gosh. They are obviously amazing fishermen and just just super obsessed with fishing and the business of fishing and the innovations of fishing and the community of fishing um but you know they're also just super phenomenal uh men of god and just kind and extremely, extremely giving. And so, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really been a blessing to, you know, get to spend a ton of time with them over the years. And, you know, Al is obviously like the the charismatic leader and, um, you know, a really, just a really great dude and just a phenomenal angler. And then Gramps is kind of, uh, he's not afraid to, uh, I guess, you know, push push you in for information, and yes, it's sort of. I don't know. He was a uh, he was always always a bull, and but just like a really like a true uh, kind of like a like a really phenomenal businessman, you know. And if it wasn't for him, I mean, Al probably would have just ended up. I shouldn't say it, but I mean, he. I mean, Al, Al might have just been like a guide in Wisconsin or something, or Illinois, or or you know wherever you would have landed. Um, but it, it was really both of them together. And and who knows where Gramps would have been if it wasn't for Al, you know? So it's like those two are just, you know, totally like just a dynamic duo. And so it's been it's been cool to, to you know, see them a lot over the years, spend time with them. It, it is amazing, isn't it, how um, 
you need the to really to be in a successful company of any sort. You need people of different mindsets and different skill sets. And if they, they can work together, great, because if they can't work together, you're right. It's, it's just not going to fly. But these guys, uh, they meshed well together and, and uh, as you noted, uh, made it happen. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I mean, I don't think it's – there's definitely, you know, you see it. It's either it's either uh, awesome or, like, red alert when you get, <laughs> like, siblings working together. And it's just amazing how, how well they were able to kind of be like a yin and yang in some ways, in some respects. And in like just such a positive way with all, you know, they've been able to build over, you know, their super long careers. Well, obviously you benefited some from that. And, and uh, here you are now uh, an independent filmmaker, um, getting different uh, businesses and uh, anglers that you work with. You're, you're on the road as we speak, headed to um, a, a, a video shoot. So tell me what it is you like about uh, being independent and, and uh, being a, a freelancer. Yeah, so, I, you know, what I love about it is the fact that, um, you know, I get to choose a lot of work that I, that I really like to do. So, as you mentioned, I'm on the road right now, so if there is a little uh, breaking in and out, I do apologize for that. But uh, I'm driving to South Dakota to go shoot some fishing content with Cody Roswick, who actually does a lot of guiding up in North Dakota, but he happens to be in South Dakota this week, which is a little bit closer luckily for me to make the day trip to go shoot. But, um, yeah, what I love about it is I get to spend time with a lot of really cool guys. You know, the fishing industry is just loaded with really good down to earth dudes and, and ladies as well. And just being able to, you know, go out and make good content that I think people are, are excited to watch. And I, for me, like the biggest thing, I think, you know, when you make videos, they should be entertaining to some degree for sure. Um, and, you know, fish help with that, of course. <laughs> but I, I, I think the education part is just extremely important. So, you know, just to go out and educate anglers is, you know, to me, I think super rewarding. And that's what that's what I've loved about, you know, doing what I'm doing. Uh, whether it be, you know, video or photography or whatever, the thing about uh, the type of videoing you're doing you're not in a sealed off studio with a controlled atmosphere. You got to be able to make calls and figure out ways to get the video to look good, and uh, that's got to be a challenge. No, it, yeah, it can be really challenging. Whether it's light or, you know, one of definitely one of the hardest things um, that a lot of people probably don't realize is that like audio is just so. Speaking of audio, you know, <laughs> we're on a. <laughs> we're on an audio platform right now, but audio is so incredibly difficult when you're out in the field like that with wind and, um, you know, so like if you're using a shotgun mic, you know, wind can definitely mess that up. But also if you're, you know, something that you clip underneath your shirt, you know, you might stop some of the wind, but you might get some rustling movements as people are fighting fish. And so it's definitely not easy. Lighting and audio is super hard. And, and another thing that makes it very difficult too is there's this thing um it's i i think it's i think they proved it in some scientific studies or something but when you bust out a camera the fish tend not to bite as well <laughs> so um that's another <laughs> factor that we're always contending with as well so that's some that's some that's some strange science but uh i i've heard from more than <laughs> one person it's true proven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, so so, yeah. so when I'm watching a video, um, just you know, it's got 
guy's on his boat. It's a lovely day. He's catching all kinds of fish. Uh, what am I not seeing? Give me the secrets. What am I not seeing? What are you not seeing? So you're not seeing us grinding probably on the lake for hours and hours until we ended up finding the fish. Um, generally, I, I won't show you when we when we lose fish either. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that kind of stuff. You you know you don't see us eating eating snacks too often either. But you know you got to stay hydrated out in the water and and yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I don't know. I mean, probably the stuff you'd expect. <laughs> I know, uh, like, for instance, when you shoot, like, a musky television show, I know that when we did those TV shows, it was always, you would just plan three or four days, we're just going to be out trying to catch these fish because, you know, the first two days you might, you might, you know, have one follow your bucktail back to the, the boat or something, but, you know, to, to produce, obviously, a musky for for the camera is no sure thing, you know, versus like if you're going bass fishing for the day, it's like you can plan on, Hey, I'm going to get a piece done, you know, assuming, you know, there's, there's somewhat snappy, but yeah, stuff like that, obviously that, you know, the the kind of stuff people sort of expect that you're not necessarily putting into the videos. So you're a relatively young guy and uh, equipment's been getting smaller and smaller, uh, you know, even through your first years in the industry, um, do you do you have um, uh, in the in the old Linder uh, attic somewhere uh, the equi- the equipment they used in the early days? It had to be a lot bigger, bulkier, and it had to be a lot harder <laughs> to do some video on the water. Oh, I, I know for a fact that uh, my dad has um, like vaults of film, or I don't even know honestly. It was all before me. Whether it's film or uh, what the what the heck was videotape. Yeah, videotape, sort of VHSE kind of stuff. Uh, beta, I think beta, beta tape is yep. that what it's called? Yeah, um, I, I know that they still have some of that stuff, and it seemed like every single year the discussion was come up. Uh, this discussion would come up like, "Hey, are we gonna are we gonna uh, digitize some of this? You know, old film, and you know, maybe bring some of it out." And I don't know if that's ever gonna happen. It's a lot of work and costs some money, but. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some of the old artifacts. I don't, I don't think they have any of the cameras anymore. I think they probably ended up selling selling some of those, you know, as they were as they were still worth something before they upgraded and and whatnot. But definitely plenty of old film in the vault. So, what all do you bring with you for a video shoot? And uh, can you do it all by yourself, or do you do you actually need a, a crew still? Uh. No, often often not. So I know that like when my dad is out filming a television show, they'll bring they bring quite a bit of stuff. I mean, they have like a big camera bag with they have they have larger larger cameras um, that they're using for some of that TV stuff, and then all the different like any different type of other like new alternative cameras you can think of, whether that's like GoPros or Ronins or drones. Yeah, and they got they got all kinds of stuff. And for me, most of the time, for a lot of what I'm doing, I actually can fit everything into sort of like a little backpack camera bag deal. And uh, basically what I have in that, I can actually fit a lot of stuff in that. But, you know, that's just like my DSLR camera and a drone and like three GoPros, a handful of mounts, a couple external batteries, and that's pretty much... That's pretty much the gist of it. I can definitely sling it on my back and, you know, hop in a boat. So. 
Later on in the show, we'll ask Nick if he actually gets to fish. But up next, we'll talk to another guy who's involved in the fishing media, Fishing the Midwest TV's Mike Frisch. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley with Dick Beardsley Fishing Guide Service. Are you looking to plan a fishing trip? Look no further as Bemidji, Minnesota is your year-round destination for walleyes, pike, muskie, bass, perch, crappie, panfish, and more. With over 400 fishing lakes within a 25-mile radius of Bemidji, come take a cast of becoming a fishing legend. While you're on your fishing adventure, come take a picture with the historic Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Discover the first city on the Mississippi... Bemidji, one step further. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We get to talk to one of our good friends that uh, we haven't talked to that much lately, and we gotta we got to correct that because uh, he brings a lot to the show, a lot of intelligence, a lot of fishing knowledge, and the fact that he's a fellow media guy and even knows that I need more than a yes or no answer, and that's always good. Mike Frisch, welcome back. Hey, Kev, how you doing? Doing very good. Um, for those who, who aren't familiar, we've kind of expanded into some new markets now. Um, why don't you give people a refresher of, of who you are and, and how you got into this business? So, Kev, I live in uh, Elbow Lake, Minnesota, so about a half an hour west of Alexandria. And I've been guiding in this area for close to 30 years now. And then I also i am kind of eating out of the guide business. I have a couple other um, jobs. Number one, I uh, purchased and host Fishing the Midwest Television. I bought that from Bob Jensen a few years ago, and so I'm kind of running that now, the Fishing the Midwest TV. And then I also work with a couple partners on a kids' fishing program called School of Fish, which is a a kids' um, fishing education program. And how I got started is my my training and my original career was in education. I was a fed health teacher and a football coach, and I guided in the summers and eventually evolved into, you know, the full-time part of it. So uh, got a lot going on, but, you know, we're, we're post-COVID. The fish are biting. Uh, things are good. We're, we're, uh, we're rolling along here. Absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit about how the fish has been over in your area. But, I, you know, I always find it interesting um, you bring up the education aspect. So many of the guides I talk to uh, either were or are teachers full-time and, and do the guiding on the, on the side or have turned that into a full-time career like you have. I think some things that really help out uh, an educator is the ability to teach and, and patience with the, with people who aren't experts off the off the top. Those are two things guides need. Absolutely, Kev. You know, it's it's more than just being able to catch fish yourself. I mean, that's that's not really important to a guide's job. He needs to be able to, to find fish and and uh, you're spot on. Educate us clients on on how to catch those fish. The other the other thing about being a teacher that really really um, lends to the guide career is that whole June July off thing. That, uh, <laughs> that, that 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 helps a lot as well. But yeah, there's a lot of of correlation between education and and fishing. In addition to having the you know the time to do it in the summer. And of course that uh, that was what you you noted uh, was one of the things that spurred you on with. Uh, the school of fish and uh and that's really that, that's been around quite a while now yeah we're actually kept we're in our ninth year now and um we're well we just went by 200 we just passed 250 schools that we've presented uh we're over 5,000 kids and another couple thousand adults that have come through school of fish so we're really really pleased with the support that we've gotten from 
uh, people with in the industry and even, you know, some non-endemic sponsors, people outside fishing that that see value in it and, and support us. But really the, the cool part is we go to a lot of the same communities year in and year out. And I remember when I started, you know, Bob Jensen, kind of one of my mentors and, and the original founder of Fish in the Midwest, told me, he said, you know, he said, I can see your program being like, um, kind of like the guide business where you rely on repeat business. And he said, if you get that, that means you must be doing something right. And so, you know, we feel fortunate to have a lot of communities where, for example, we've been in Kimball, Minnesota, eight out of the nine years that we've had School of Fish. And the one year we weren't there is because of COVID. So um, that, that's been the cool part, being able to go back. And we, we have friends in those communities now. And it's kind of cool because some of our original kids that came through original school of fish are now young adults and and you know starting their own careers we're going to talk more about school of fish in a bit but we you were out fishing today and i'm sure you've been out fishing a lot how have how has the fishing been in the alexandria area well kev we started out a little slow quite honestly and you know we had an early ice out like a lot of the midwest did but once the ice went out the weather temperatures and the water temperatures never really did anything they just kind of flatlined and so uh, we didn't see a real strong early spring bite for any species of fish and then of course it went from 48 to uh, 92 and the you know the water temperatures just took off and I think that held us back a little bit too I think it was a little bit of shock to the fish but it seems like in the last two weeks that the fish have really settled into their their summer patterns, and uh, we're on a really nice walleye bite now. There's a couple lakes south of Alexandria, Reno, and Mary that, you know, have good, strong populations of fish, and, and we're spending some time on those lakes, um, you know, trying to kind of key in on which one is, is at the peak. And so that bite's been going really good, like I said, the last couple of weeks. And then now just recently the bass have really started to take off as well. It seems like the post-spawn funk, if you will, is kind of in the rearview mirror now. And, and those fish, a lot of them are set up on those deep weed lines. And, and you can catch them a lot of different ways. You know, the Alexandria chain and the surrounding lakes is kind of classic jigworm water. And, and that pattern has really started to kick in. So so we've got a really good bite going on right now. And, of course, you know, our crappies and bluegills are good. But this time of year, people kind of forget about them. We maybe shouldn't because they're out on the weed lines and, and there's some nice fish in these year classes and, and they're eating pretty good right now too. You know, so many of us in, in well, really anywhere uh, in Minnesota, particularly uh, northern Minnesota, we don't have to go more than five miles for the rest of our lives and, and have a lot of waters to fish. So maybe uh, aren't as familiar as Alec as, as we should be. Um, Alec is a fishing area. How many lakes would you say are in the Alec area, and are there any that are, you know, real premier waters? Well, I think, you know, people kind of consider there to be about 300 lakes in the surrounding Alexandria area. Um, and the thing about it is, is a lot of people know about the Alexandria chain, and they know about some of the bigger lakes. You know, Miltonis has got a, a long reputation for being a walleye producer. Lake Ida, walleye's bass. Reno and Mary, which I've mentioned, you know, good walleye lakes. And those are some of the bigger lakes in the Alexandria area. Um, but when you look at all the surrounding, you know, 300 to 1,500 acre lakes that we have, there's a ton of them. So it's more than just the chain. It's more than just the big lakes. Um, you know, there's, there's a bunch of small lakes that offer good fishing as well. And, you know, I would say as far as the premier lakes, 
Um, you know, Reno and Mary year in, year out seem like to be two of the top walleye producers. Uh, Ida and Milton are up there as well. If you look at the, the largemouth bass, uh, it's really, really hard to beat the Alexandria chain, the Lahamadu chain right now for bass. I mean, I remember when I started tournament fishing, you know, 25 years ago for largemouth, uh, a two-pounder was a good one. A three-pounder was one to jump up and down about. Now, the way it looks this year, you're going to need a three-and-a-quarter or three-and-a-half-pound average to cash a check in some of these deals. So those largemouths have really grown up, and the cool thing is they're in really good numbers. So, you know, the chain is the premier bass fishery. But, again, there's a whole bunch of those smaller lakes that have that good deep weed line bite for largemouth as well. So there's a, there's a lot of good fishing in the Alexander area. You and I, I think, are probably around the same age, and I know I've uh, been doing this show just over 30 years, and one of the things that has really, really changed, I would say, last five years for sure, maybe even seven to ten, uh, I hear, you know, uh, un, un, I, don't have to, I don't have to dig it out of people. I am getting more and more bass talk all the time. It just seems to be getting more and more popular. It, it really is, Kevin. You know, I think part of it is, you know, we live in a technological society right now where, you know, good, bad, or whatever, however a person's opinion about technology is and, and you know, the access to cell phones and computers that, um, you know, is a everyday way of everybody's life now, including, you know, our next generation of anglers. And I think what's happened is I think the sit in the back of a walleye boat and back trouble and drag a leech around or a crawler for hours on end doesn't appeal quite as much to the up-and-comers as casting constantly, probably getting more bites. Um, even if you're not, you're doing something, you're casting, you're retrieving, you're moving around. So I think bass fishing, you know, kind of lends itself to the next generation and, and the way society has kind of evolved. And let's face it, these up-and-coming kids, number one, they can read a depth finder and figure out how to use a depth finder like no generation before them. And that's a big part of it. If you can find the structure, the weeds, and the cover, you're going to find the fish. And when you find them, you know, bass typically aren't that tough to catch. And um, it's almost kind of scary for an old guy like me to see what some of these kids can do with the rotten reel in their hand now. Um, But hats off to them, you know, because, like I said, they're taking the initiative to do it. and, And I just think it's, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with how our society has evolved. I don't know if Alec has a uh, a high school uh, fishing team yet, but we've got one here in Bemidji. They got a big one in Brainerd. I'm guessing if that was around uh, back when you were teaching, you might have been the coach. <laughs> I probably would have been. I probably would have been, Kev. I mean, it's you know, it's it, these kids are fired up, and I mean, um, sometimes there's a part of me that thinks not everything in life needs to be competitive and fishing is maybe one of them but the cool thing about the sport is that if you don't want to compete you don't have to but it's there for these kids and you know like you said the high school thing has gotten huge and and i i see it just continuing to grow well i think it's also a, a great way for kids uh, of the, about the same age to be able to get together and do something that they consider fun and i think it just uh it, it's it's going to you know, it's going to pump them up for that next stage of life as far as fishing goes, too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because, you know, the, the, the whole thing about it, Kevin, is I, and I've said this time and time again, the key is you got to get them young and you got to get them to feel something pull back. And, you know, if, like you said, kids are getting together and they're having fun, they're socializing, 
and they view this as a fun activity, you know, that just adds to all that. And, you know, it's, it's neat to see the number of kids that, that we have fishing now. And like you said, I think the bass fishing is a big part of it. Um, quite honestly, my generation and some of the early generations, we ignored bass because they didn't taste good. Well, we're figuring out there's other kinds of food. You don't have to catch dinner, <laughs> you know. So you can release the, you can release fish and still have fun, and, and that's what this generation is doing. Yeah, and, yeah I mean, and I'm hearing a lot of guys that they're going out there saying, yeah, we had, the, we had a pretty decent walleye bite for a couple of hours, so we got some for the frying pan, and then we went bass fishing, and then we got... And then we over went over and got some crappies, and you know the the diversity is is something people have been preaching a long time, and it just seems to have finally caught on. It does, and and you know it, it's kind of cool because what I see is exactly what you said. It seems like, and I, and I'll give the credit to this up and coming generation as well. There's not per se bass fishermen or walleye fishermen or panfish anglers, is there is people that fish and they're people that fish for what's biting what they want to fish for maybe it's bass one day or maybe it's walleyes in the morning bass in the afternoon and crappies later but that's another part that i'm seeing that that i think is really cool is i'm seeing more and more of the next generation of anglers being more involved in you know the, the variety of the species of fish i mean i didn't start bass fishing Dwayne Peterson from, you know, Bemidji there got me bass fishing, and I was in my 30s before I started. I missed out on, you know, 20 years of good bass fishing. (laughs) Well, you can thank Dwayne for that. Uh, He has certainly been, since I've known him for 30-some years, uh, he's been preaching bass fishing the whole time. (laughs) He he has, you know, and I actually told his story the other day. I remember one of the very first times that I bass fished, uh, Dwayne was fishing a tournament down on Minnewaski here in, in my neck of the woods and he knew that I had some interest in bass fishing but hadn't really done a lot and he called me and asked me to join him for a day of pre-fishing and you know back then Duane kept a pretty detailed log of, of his pre-fishing days and I think at the end of the day we had loaded 37 fish and Duane had caught 34 of them <laughs> so <laughs> I got an education that day but I remember the Thing I really remember about that day is when I got home, I called my dad and I told him, I said, I'm going to figure out how to catch these bass because that looked like a lot of fun and it's proven to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, uh, we, we mentioned at the outset a little bit on uh, on uh, the School of Fish. Uh, let's further uh, explore that for people who are maybe intrigued by it. Uh, what is it? And if people are listening, how can they get it to their town? So School of Fish, Kev, is a two-and-a-half-hour a program held in a classroom setting. Um, sometimes, depending on the venue, the location, uh, we actually take the kids fishing, you know, off a shore fishing spot or a pier or whatever it might be after class. But the class was designed primarily to be an early spring, you know, kind of preseason endeavor that's kind of morphed into a lot of the spring and into the summer as well. But during that two and a half hours, we have a 32-page copyrighted full-color workbook uh, that I have wrote with some input from guys like Dwayne and, and Bob Jensen and different people. And basically the workbook covers uh, finding fish, finding fishing spots, you know, primarily shore fishing spots where kids can fish. Uh, we talk about the different kinds of species of fish, and then we talk about the different kinds of lures. Uh, that's a little less than the first half of class. The next thing that happens is every kid gets a rod and reel, which they get to keep. We teach them how to tie 
the fisherman's knot. They actually take a knot tying test at the end of that instruction. Uh, they get a school fish t-shirt when they pass the knot tying test. And then we give them uh, a tackle box with the components to rig a slip bobber setup. Um, we teach them how to rig the setup, rig it with them, and then we show them how it works and why it's advantageous. So really our goal is when the kids get done with class, they're going to have the equipment to go fishing because they're going to have a rod and reel and tackle box. They're going to have some knowledge about, you know, how to find fishing spots, you know, places to fish to actually find fish when you're on the water, and then also have some skills. They're going to be able to tie a knot. They're going to be able to rig a rod and reel so that our ultimate goal is kids are ready to go fishing. And um, one of the additions we made after the first year is we actually added uh, we invite parents to come to class with the kids as well. So we get a lot of parents to come with. And it ends up being a really neat experience because some of the parents, like, you know, not to categorize people, but say single moms, I hear from a lot of single moms who come to school to fish with their kids and come up afterwards and say, hey, that was great. I don't take my kids fishing because I never knew how to rig a rod and reel or tie a knot. So the parents who don't have experience fishing can learn with the kids and ends up being a neat family experience too. So who normally brings the school into a, a community? So most of our classes, Kev, are actually sponsored by the community education departments through the schools. So what we basically tell the community ed departments is do two things. Um, give us a date and a facility, you know, a place where we can have it, give us a date, and you register the kids, and we'll do everything else. And so a lot of the community ed departments love it because it's turnkey. You know, other than those two things, they don't have to really do anything. We've got all the equipment, you know, the teacher and everything that we need. So a lot of our, our events are, you know, hosted at community ed departments. Um, we have fish and wildlife clubs that sponsor them, like up in Fergus Falls there, Fish and Wildlife Club. Brandon, Minnesota's got a really active fin and feather club that, that do a class every year. Another one, like yesterday, we were in Wasika and we did one for their 4-H club. So, um, you know, the community ed departments are kind of the, the ones where we do most of them, but there's a lot of different groups that, that have sponsored them as well. Well, we've, uh, we've got a lot of community ed departments uh, in the listening area, certainly, and a lot of uh, kids-oriented groups. So if uh, they're listening and they think they might be interested in this, uh, what's their next step to get going? So they can go to, the, to our Fishing the Midwest website, and at the top there's actually a School of Fish um, tab that they can hit, and there's a full page of School of Fish that has a class description. It shows the workbooks. It shows, you know, our scheduled dates for the year. There's actually a YouTube video of one of the classes, a highlight video. There's a lot of information there, and that's just at fishinthemidwest.com. And, again, at the top is, is the tab. And my phone number and email addresses are all over the, the website. So, you know, they can give me a call, shoot me an email, you know, and I'll get back to them, and, and we can figure it out. All right, and uh, Fishing the Midwest, tell me about that. Uh, anything new uh, with that program? Well, one of the things that we've done is we have actually added some programming. That first quarter, which is kind of the you know traditional fishing TV season, but uh, here we added some programming on Valley Sports North, in particular during the second quarter. 
Uh, we've actually got six shows coming up, and we've or six during the second quarter. We've aired four of those already. Um, we have a couple more coming up. We're doing a uh, a Big Stone show, and then also we're going to be on Cabotoma here in a couple of weeks, and that show is going to air uh, within about ten days of when we shoot it. That's kind of this second quarter deal has kind of been a trial and error um, for us because you know we're filming television shows in the summer, the open water shows at least, and airing them in the winter, and we're looking at doing some more what I call quick turn where we film the show and, and get it to TV 10 days later, and that's kind of been our um, what we've tried to do during second quarter. So that, that's the biggest change, but you know, other than that, we're still on Valley Sports North, Valley Sports Midwest, a variety of, of um, you know, network carriers across the Midwest, and then World Fishing Network and My Outdoor TV as well. Okay. Um, are you... I've seen some some video you in front of a, what appears to be a radio microphone. Are you doing radio now? No, we're not doing radio. We're doing a podcast. Mike? Hello? Lost you. Oh. Tagline. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I, I yeah. I, we're back now. I got you now. Okay. Sorry about that. That's okay. Um. Uh, so basically, we're doing this podcast called Taiwan On Through Store Company, and that is every Wednesday night at five p.m. on the Fishing the Midwest Facebook page. But the podcast is available on Spotify, you know, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, plus you know it stands. Uh, those episodes are also available on our Facebook page as well. I don't need any competition from people who actually know how to catch fish, fish Mike. <laughs> well, you know what, Kevin? I don't think it's it's not competition, and and I'll tell you what it's um we're fortunate because Striking has made available to us their very best pros. So, like last week, we had Juan Marshall. The week before that, we had Mark Menendez, a BASS pro. But we've got guys like Denny Brower, Greg Hackney, and there's this Van Dam guy from Michigan um, who's scheduled to join us later in the year too. So we're we're fortunate. We're going to have some what we think are home run guests coming up as well. So it's pretty cool for us too. Nice. Uh, do we have to catch it live, or can we find it somewhere? Uh, you you mentioned Spotify and some of the other ones, huh? Yep, Spotify, um, you know, Apple's uh, podcast app, Google's app, but also Fishing Midwest page. Um, all the podcasts are on there. People can just scroll back and, and you know, see them. They're on, the, they're on the history of the page there. So, you know, that's maybe the best way. It's live on Fishing Midwest Facebook page, but you can watch it or listen to it anytime after that through the Facebook page as well, in addition to those apps, too. All right, Mike, if we're going to go out fishing this weekend, uh, where should we be looking for fish, and what should we bring with us? Well, I'll tell you what, Kev, um, my guide trips the last 10 days have been outside weed line trips. So for me, it's 20 to 24 feet on a lot of our lakes. Um, what I'm doing is I'm pulling a bottom bouncer and a crawler. I have a rig um, using a rock runner two-ounce bottom bouncer on fluorocarbon line with two plane hooks no bead no spinner anything i call it my plane rig it's just a crawler on two hooks pulled behind a heavy bottom bouncer about a mile an hour and i know it catches them i mean we we cover more water than your traditional lindy rig plus i think that speed to it so that's what i've been pulling in and i think that's going to continue to produce fish you know 
right through this week. And the other thing is, if you've got a lake that's got, you know, good deep weed lines that are developed and have some coontail, cabbage, whatever it is, you know, you can get on those weed lines right now and throw a jig in a plastic, you know, the typical jig worm head with, uh, you know, a straight stick type, type of bait like an ocho or a curl tail worm or, you know, the Ned Rig, the little finesse plastics are big right now. Any of those baits right now on a jig head on the weed line, I'm throwing, Striking's got a little bait called a Ned Ocho. It's just a baby stick, and it flat out catches bass, but big panfish eat it, northern pike eat it. So it's just a really good way to get bit. So those would be my two things, you know, outside edge of the weeds for walleyes and the outside edge of the, of the weeds for bass as well. All right, if we want to find out anything else going on in your world, uh, probably go to the Fishing the Midwest uh, Facebook page or, and or website, I guess. Yeah, if you go to the if you go to the um, website fishingthemidwest.com, on our home page there is a a feed to the Facebook page so you can get to the Facebook page you can get to our.com. All right, Mike uh, Frisch from the Alexandria Elbow Lake area telling us what's going on there and everything else going on in his world. Always great to have him on the show. We're we're not going to make it so long next time, Mike. Uh, we'll definitely talk to you again before the snow falls. Sounds good, Kevin. I appreciate the call. Good luck. You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Checking back in now with Nick Linder. Yes, of that Linder family. He was part of the Linder Network, but now is working independently, doing a lot of videos for Northland Tackle, as well as uh, several pro anglers. And Nick, how often do you actually get to fish? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Quite a bit. So the nice thing when I go out and film with a lot of these different guys, um, you know, like I'm making a ton of content for Northland specifically, and I would say I definitely fish like a, a decent bit when I'm out with them shooting stuff. Um, I try not to fish too much because sometimes I get too uh, wrapped up in the, <laughs> the fishing and the catching and forget to point my camera around. <laughs> but, uh, you know, outside of that, you know, my, my oldest, my son is super into fishing, so we get out all the time. He loves catching uh, bass and panfish and stuff. And, you know, he's, it's kind of funny. He's eight years old, and he's at the point where, like, if I hand him a spinning reel, he's like, nope, I want the bait caster. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, spend half my time fishing, half my time picking out uh, backlashes and whatnot. But it's, uh, so, you know, I get out with my family some and, you know, do some local tournaments around here and uh, local walleye tournaments, actually, this past year. But, uh, yeah, so stuff like that. I get out, and, you know, fun fish, obviously, in between whenever I can. I definitely get out, you know, a handful of days a, a week, at least. I'm not stuck inside editing. How has the bite been for you lately? You know, for me, uh, it seems like this year has been, like, a really, it's been really good. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure if that's because of that the fast warm-up and just kind of warm temperatures, kind of, warm water temperatures pretty early in the year but it seems like you know the bass and the walleye have been super snappy i have noticed kind of this past week or so the bite has slowed down on on some of the like local stocked walleye lakes but uh all in all it's been like a really good year for me at least what seems to be working best for you uh so interestingly we had a derby out uh last night and so I've been doing like a lot of 
you know, rigging when the bite's been kind of tough and, you know, just dangling leeches in front of their face. And that's been, that's been good. But it, it was sort of interesting uh, last night on the lake that we were on that, you know, we have about three hours to fish and we're dangling leeches with bobbers and uh, just, you know, standard rigs. And we just weren't getting bit. So we ended up, I was like, what the heck, you know? So I reeled up my rig and my wife kept uh, dangling a leech down there. And I just started dropping puppet minnows on whatever whatever we were marking. And just then we started catching fish right away on that. So I think uh, I think we're sneaking up on puppet season here, I think. So um, the so bite gets tougher. That going more aggressive and just something that just flashes in front of their face can be just really effective sometimes the slow dangle is actually hurting you even though you know you think ah tough bite they want it slower and sometimes it's like the exact opposite same thing with spinner rigs you know uh spinner rigs have been good too and it's just one of those deals where sometimes they just want to dip and pass their face and and you know if you let them look at it for too long that can be a bad deal this time of year you mentioned the puppet minnow, man. That is, uh, I've heard so many anglers, they they absolutely love that thing. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's so good. And it's actually, you know, those style baits are getting really popular um, nowadays. And, you know, I, that's, that's a good thing and a bad thing because they do catch fish. But, you know, the fish are also seeing it more, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like, man, back before people were using those in open water, I mean, Sometimes it was just automatic, you know. You just drive over a mark and uh, pitch it back behind your boat where where you saw that mark and just let it drop because, you know, they fall so fast. You can put it right on their head even when you're fishing pretty deep, and uh, they would just, like, reaction strike it. And I think they're getting a little smarter to it, but it's still it's still crazy good. I mean, if you haven't used it, it's totally, totally worth trying. So have you shot any video of some new and upcoming product from uh, Northland that's not out yet that we we would all love a scoop on? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> is that the extent of the scoop? Uh the that is the extent of the scoop. I don't <laughs> they there's going to be content coming out in early July. You will be seeing it. You will know as much as I know actually by, you know, a week or so after Fourth of July. Oh, okay. That'll be uh, there'll be a lot of information coming out soon, so you you won't have to wait too long. All right, very cool. I'm I'm always interested in what they they're cooking up over in Northland. They always come up with great stuff. I mean, it's uh, it never ceases to oh, amaze yeah. me. You think they they've they they've got covered it all, and then they come up with a new wrinkle on it. Yeah, no, and ever ever since they brought in in Greg to uh, start running a lot of things over there. They've gotten really aggressive. So it's been really cool what they've been doing the last few years with uh, bringing in, you know, new baits and doing different things on the marketing side, which is fun as well. But they've just they've been really aggressive with, with bringing a lot of cool product to, uh, to market the last couple of years. Uh, talking more about uh, your area again, the Brainerd Lakes area, any particular lakes that seem to be particularly hot this year? Uh you know, always one of my favorites is, is a lake that's going to be closed because there's no walleyes in it. But <laughs> Malax Lake is obviously one of my favorites. And you know, you know which lake has been crazy, crazy good this year, and the stocking is is, is catching up. And you know, the walleyes are the walleye action has been great. Has been Gull Lake, you know, oh. and it's Gull Lake. I think is you know the past decade or so has been that lake where people just want to catch walleyes out there, but it's tough. Um, but 
man, I would say Gull is one of the best walleye lakes in the area by far nowadays. Um, so, and actually, I mean, it's really a great multi-species lake even, you know, with super good bass fishing in there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they've had some really nice tournament weights for bass. Really? You know, the past year or so. And, uh, yeah, and panfish and stuff like that. So Gull is kind of popping lately. Well, if we're going to go out fishing this weekend, um, where should we be and what should we bring with us? Uh, I would recommend scooting out deeper. I think the fish are starting to move. So, like I had mentioned, I would fished a tournament last night, and, uh, you know, we were finding, I had actually found them on Friday, fish up on sort of like these deep isolated humps, and a lot of them had pushed out into deeper water that I was able to find. Um, but I, I, you know, it's, it's kind of a weird time of year because, uh, the fish, you know, could be all over the place. So, um, like, you know, you can catch fish out in 30 plus feet of water where it's, you know, really deep and, you know, there's some bear trauma issues at that point. But, um, if you're out harvesting, um, you can catch fish deep on puppet minnows or rigging. Um, like I'd mentioned before, like this could be, you know, a really good window of time for catching them on puffin minnows. But aside from that, like, you know, the fish could be up in the weeds as well. Weed lines is, a, is great this time of year. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, tall cabbage or some of the shorter, stubbier stuff as well. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it, it's tough to, it's tough to just say like, Hey, you should go deep or Hey, you should go shallow or, you know, 25 feet of water. It's like the fish, it all, it all depends on the lakes that you're fishing and the, uh, just the available structure and the water clarity. There's a lot of variables, but I would say, you know, definitely like as water temperatures are really starting to heat up, like you can, I would definitely look deep. Um, maybe on some of the same spots that you've been catching them, just look to see if they've pushed out a little bit deeper. Maybe if there's like a deeper little finger coming off your favorite, uh, you know, main lake hump or like big, big point or whatever. I would look a little bit deeper on that side. And then as far as presentation goes, don't just stick with like one thing, I guess, as far, as far as, uh, you know, if we're talking specifically for walleyes and, you know, I don't know exactly what you're looking for, but I know everybody wants to know about walleye. Yeah. Um, I would say don't just like stick with one thing. You're tried and true and grind it out. Um, I would go, uh, aggressive and subtle. And, you know, if you can, you know, based on like the movement of, of the boat and whatnot, I would try and do both at the same time over, over the same fish. So really aggressive puppet minnow can, can be like a great compliment to like a live bait rigging. Cause you can do them at kind of the same speed, you know, versus like if you're trolling cranks, it's hard to, it's hard to like bobber fish and troll cranks at the same time, you know? Um, so I would just, I would definitely try and go fast and slow and just see what the fish are tend to be preferring on that particular day or during that particular window of the day. And, uh, yeah, just adjust from there. And once you get the fish to snap, then you, then, you know, obviously they've, they've showed their hand. Well, Nick, uh, we get more and more people, you know, bass fishing than ever. And a lot of people this time of year heading towards panfish. So, uh, as far as those go, uh, where are we going to find them right now? Uh, weeds. Yeah. <laughs> bass love, bass love weeds for sure. That's... So, I mean, when you get into this mid, mid-summer pattern, you know, especially like if you're targeting largemouth bass, which is what the majority of bass fishing is throughout the state, 
Um, deep weed lines can be great. And, you know, if you're not finding them out on uh, the edges of the weeds, um, I would recommend looking up inside the weeds, you know, depending on the mood of the fish that day or the wind or the sun. Um, based on the conditions, those fish might be out on the edges feeding or they might be kind of uh, packed up on the inside, you know, where you might want to be, you know, tossing a jig worm down to them or a Ned rig or any of those things. And also don't forget the inside weed line too, because sometimes that can hold a lot of fish as well. So inside, outside, and in between, if there's good green weeds there, there's probably bass there. So where are you going to be filming in South Dakota today? I don't know. Ah. <laughs> I'm heading to uh, northeast South Dakota Kind of that glacial lakes region, and I like I don't have any clue what uh, lakes we're going to be going on. I just know that you know Cody's been guiding out there the last couple of days, and you know in theory he's got some walleyes lined up. <laughs> Let's hope so. Anyway, um, one of the things uh, before we wrap it up that uh, you know last year was very significantly noticed by most people I talked to that there were a lot more people out fishing. I know we sold a lot more licenses. Um, COVID was a big part of that, something people could do still, and, and they did. Uh, I've seen most of the people I've talked to seem to think that that has carried over to this year. Are you noticing that? Still a lot of people out on the lakes more than in the in the past. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. No, for sure. I was uh, Fred, who I was talking to, but they had mentioned, and I don't know if there's any truth to this, so don't quote me. I had heard that the DNR had maybe reported that fishing pressure was up like 40% or something um, this year in the state of Minnesota. So I don't, I don't exactly know what, uh, you know, if that's true or if that was just, you know, a rumor of hearsay, but I can tell you from personal experience that yes, fishing pressure is for sure way up. And yeah, like I was out on Mille Lacs uh, the other day, it was like the middle of the week and it was like every single flat you mud flat you pulled up to there were like you know like a dozen people you know from like one side of the flat to the other you know versus like you know on a regular year in the middle of the week you might have some of that stuff to yourself and uh i will say too like recreational boating is substantially like very 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 much higher and i think obviously you know some of that is covid related and you know more people bought bought boats over the last year and part of that i'm sure too is just how nice the weather has been and people making it more of a priority this year for those of us who you know talk about fishing or video fishing or uh, guide for fishing uh that's good news for us certainly yeah no for sure i mean it's yeah i think i think it's great i think it's awesome that more people are fishing i think it just means that we got to be a little more secretive about our spots now <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed they have been a little bit tighter lipped this year about that stuff. Oh, well. I believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nick Linder, it's great talking to you. Nick uh, is a freelance videographer, uh, works a lot with Northland and several uh, anglers, and is, in fact, as we noted, on his way to South Dakota to do some videoing today, uh, and obviously knows fishing inside and out. Nick, it was great to have you on the show, and uh, we're definitely going to have to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. The pleasure was all mine. Thanks for calling me up. That's it for the week. Have yourself a great long holiday weekend. Remember, 4th of July, tons of watercraft are going to be out there. Keep your eyes open. Everybody be nice to everybody. Everybody be patient with everybody. And also, it's going to be very, very hot. So take care of yourself. Wear hats. Fish maybe when it's just a little bit cooler anyway. Bring lots of water. Bring sunscreen. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. 
and subscribe to the podcast so you can listen to this show whenever you want to and get a lot of bonus coverage as well. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. We will talk to you Tuesday. The Fish and Pulping and Country podcast is sponsored by Visit Bemidji. And if you need a little boost, remember what Jason Durham says about you. I would say that the listeners of Fish and Paul Bunyan Country are the smartest people on earth. Fish and Paul Bunyan Country! Country!